Someone used the hymn that I was going to quote at the very beginning, and that's one of my favorite hymns when it comes to communion. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. But there's another one that, uh, again, it's been a while since we've heard it sung, but it, it conveys the message that I wanted to, I want to focus on tonight. It's uh, 140, I'm just going to read the three verses, Beneath the Cross of Jesus. Beneath the cross of Jesus, I fain would take my stand. The shadow of a mighty rock within a weary land. A home within the wilderness, a rest upon the way. From the burning of the noontide heat and the burden of the day. Upon that cross of Jesus, mine eyes at times can see. The very dying form of the one who suffered there for me. And from my smitten heart with tears, two wonders I confess, the wonders of redeeming love and my unworthiness. I take, O cross, thy shadow for my abiding place. I ask no other sunshine than the sunshine of his face, content to let the world go by, to know no gain nor loss, my sinful self my only shame, my glory, all the cross. What a beautiful message as we focus on the Lord's death, his suffering, his burial, his resurrection. But what Calvary means for us. We are redeemed. Without his death, his death was powerful. But without his resurrection, the Bible says, if in this life we only have Christ, we're of all men most miserable. But we have that blessed hope. We're looking for his return. And tonight I just wanted to share a few thoughts around the cross. And I call it the threefold meaning of the Lord's Supper as we focus on the cross. The Lord's Supper is a reminder of what Jesus did in the past. It's also a symbol of our present relationship with him. And the promise of what he will do in the future when he returns. First of all, let's look at some of the memorials concerning Jesus' death on the cross. On the night in which he was betrayed, while Jesus was eating the Passover meal with his disciples, after that he took bread and said, quoted, this is quoting from Luke 22 and 19, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, it's not an option. It's a command. They each ate a piece of the bread. And when we participate in the Lord's Supper tonight, we will eat a piece of bread in remembrance of Jesus. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, as he had asked a blessing on the bread, he asked a blessing on the cup. And from Luke 22:20 20, we read, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. When we drink a small amount of the juice at the Lord's Supper, we remember Jesus' blood that was shed for us. And the blood signifies the new covenant. Just as the old covenant was sealed by the sprinkling of blood, the new covenant was established by Jesus. Blood, and you'll find that in Hebrews 9, 18 to 28. 
This new covenant promised to Israel is an unconditional promise by which God agreed to be merciful to their unrighteousness and to remember their sins and iniquities no more. You'll find that in Jeremiah 31. However, unbelief today keeps Israel from enjoying this promise. But those of us, however, who do place faith and trust in Jesus Christ will receive the benefits promised from that new covenant. And the new covenant was ratified by the blood of Christ, which is why he speaks of the new covenant in his blood. Paul said, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 1 Corinthians 11 and 26. The Lord's Supper looks back to the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now, of course, when we look at the cross, when we look at the death of our Lord and Savior, there are some very painful and sorrowful aspects to Jesus' death. But the biggest, the bigger picture is that his death is the best news possible. It shows how much God loves us, so much that he sent his son to die for us, that our, son, our sins may be forgiven and we may live forever. Romans 5 and 8 says, But God commended his love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, undeserving, unworthy, we didn't merit anything, Christ died for us. And right here it would seem very appropriate to say, as that song says, Hallelujah, what a Savior. The death of Jesus is a tremendous great gift to us. It is also a precious gift. When we are given a gift of great value that involves personal sacrifice, how should we receive it? With mourning? Regret? No, that is not what the giver wants. Rather, we should receive it with gratitude as an expression of great love. And if we have tears, they should be tears of joy, not of sorrow. So the Lord's Supper, although a memorial of a death, is not a funeral as if Jesus was still dead. Quite the contrary, we know. We observe this memorial knowing that death held Jesus only three days, knowing that death will not hold us forever either. We rejoice that Jesus has conquered death and has set us free, all who were enslaved by the fear of death. We can remember Jesus' death with a happy knowledge that he has triumphed over sin and death. As Jesus said in John 16:20, our mourning will be turned into joy. Coming to the Lord's table and having communion should be a celebration, not a funeral. The ancient Israelites, as they look back to the Passover events, as the defining moment in their history when their identity as a nation began. It was when they escaped death and slavery through the powerful hand of God and were free to serve the Lord. In the church, we look back to the events surrounding the crucifixion as the defining moment in our history. This is how we escaped death and the slavery of sin. And that is how we are free to serve the Lord. The Lord's Supper is a memorial 
of this defining moment in our history. But secondly, we've looked back, we want to look at our present relationship with Jesus Christ. The crucifixion of Jesus has a continuing significance to all who have taken up their cross to follow him. We continue to participate in his death and in the new covenant because we participate in his life. Paul wrote, it's not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ. And it's not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ. And we find that in 1 Corinthians 10 and 16. In the Lord's Supper, we show that we share Jesus Christ. We commune with him. We are united in him. The New Testament speaks of sharing with Jesus in several ways. First, we share in his crucifixion. Galatians 2 and 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. And then we also share in his death. It says, therefore, in Romans 6 and 4, therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. And then we share in his resurrection. Ephesians 2 and 6 says, God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3 and 1 says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And then we also share in his life. Same verse as we started out in Galatians 2.20. And I'll quote the whole verse now. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Our lives are in him and he in us. The Lord's table, the Lord's supper, symbolizes this spiritual reality. John 6 conveys a similar, similar picture. After Jesus proclaimed himself to be the bread of life, he said, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. That's John 6 and 54. And then our spirit, therefore, our spiritual food is in Jesus Christ. The Lord's Supper pictures this ongoing truth. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. And that's verse 56. We signify that we live in Christ and that he lives in us. So the Lord's Supper helps us to look upward to Christ and be mindful that true life can only be in him and with him. However, when we're aware that Jesus lives in us, we also pause to think of what kind of home are we given the Lord to live in. Because he came into our lives, before, sorry, before he came into our lives, we were habitations of sin. We were born in sin and iniquity. And Jesus knew it before he even knocked on the door of our lives. But as we grow in our faith, 
and intimate relationship with Christ, we surrender more and more of our lives to him on a daily basis. This is a process, and the Lord's Supper plays such an important part in this process. Paul wrote, A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks of the cup. 1 Corinthians 11 and 28. Every time we participate, we should be mindful of the great meaning involved in this memorial feast. As we examine ourselves, and remember now in 1 Corinthians 11, it talks about a personal examination. It's between us and the Lord. We will find sin. Because 1 John 1 and 8 says, If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, some people will use that as an excuse. However, this is not a reason to avoid the Lord's Supper. It is simply a reminder that we need God's forgiveness. Only he can forgive us of our sins. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, Paul, when he was speaking to the Corinthian church, he criticized the Corinthian Christians for their manner of observing the Lord's Supper. The wealthy members were coming first, eating a great meal and even getting drunk. The poor members came last and they were still hungry. The wealthy were not even sharing with the poor. And this is what Paul said. It's found in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 20 to 22. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry, and another is drunk. What? That's an exclamation in my Bible. This just blows his mind that they would do such a thing in when they go to share the Lord's Supper. That's what all of this was a part of. It says, do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this, I will not praise you. They were not really sharing in the life of Christ, for they were not doing what he would want them to do. They were not understanding what it means to be members of the body of Christ and that members have responsibilities one toward another. And I think of Jesus when he talked to his disciples. He says, by this, all men shall know you are my disciples, my followers, if you have love one for another. So as we examine ourselves, we need to look around to see whether we're treating one another in the way that Jesus commanded. If you, are, if you are united with Christ, and I am united to Christ, then we are united to each other. So the Lord's Supper, by picturing our participation in Christ, also pictures our participation with each other. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10 and 17, because there is one loaf, we who are many, are one body, for we all partake of that one loaf. By participating together in the Lord's Supper, 
we picture the fact that we are one body in Christ, one with each other, and with responsibilities toward one another. At Jesus' last meal with his disciples, remember, they had assembled. He told his disciples where to find this room where they would eat the Passover feast. And he went around with the basin and the towel, and he washed their feet. Uh, John 13, verses 1 to 15. When Peter protested, Jesus said it was necessary for him that he wash their feet. Because why? The Christian life involves both serving and being served. And then the third point I want to focus on very briefly is the Lord's Supper reminds us of Jesus' return. Jesus told his disciples that he would not drink the fruit of the vine again until he came into the fullness of the kingdom. You can find that in Matthew 26, 29, Luke 22 and 18, and Mark 14 and 5, 25, sorry. Whenever we participate, we are reminded of Jesus' promise. There will be a great messianic banquet, a wedding supper of celebration when he comes back. The bread and the wine are miniature rehearsals of what will be the greatest victory celebration in all history. Paul wrote that for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 1 Corinthians 11 and 26. The Lord's Supper is rich in meaning and has been a prominent part of the Christian church's worship worship services since Pentecost. Too often it is looked at as another lifeless church ritual, and some people have even stopped participating. And I've heard it said, people talking to different ones, the church, it doesn't matter, but wondering why that as believers, every time there was a Lord's Supper, they slipped out, they didn't stay. And on a particular Sunday, one person met the other one and said, you know, today is again the Lord's Supper. We're having the Lord's Supper today. Won't you stay today? I, I see that too often you just get up and you never stop and sit down with us and share with us around the Lord's table as we fellowship around the table. It's Christ's command that we do this. And their remark was, well, you know, I don't feel worthy. Well, when it comes to that... <clears throat> None of us, none of us are worthy. That's why in that passage where Paul says he received those instructions from the Lord, it says, let a man or a woman examine themselves. We have sins of commission and also sins of omission. We can confess. And the Bible tells us, as I read, as I quoted earlier, if we confess, he is faithful and just. So, Saying that we're unworthy, using that as a reason or excuse, is no excuse or reason at all. We can confess, and if we confess, we know he's going to forgive. And that in itself enables us to be able to share, to partake around this Lord's table. This evening, let us remember, as we've been commanded, and ref- 
reflect on what Christ did and what he accomplished for us at Calvary. He took our place. We should have been there. We were guilty, not Jesus Christ. He bore the penalty. He was sinless. He was spotless. He was the perfect Lamb of God for sacrifice. And why did he do this? Because God loved us so much. And in doing that, as he bore the penalty of our sin, that we might be forgiven and inherit eternal life. We serve a risen Savior. Our God is not dead. Forty days after he rose from the dead, he ascended on high. And the Bible tells us there is one God and one mediator between God and man. And that's the man Christ Jesus. And he's up in heaven mediating for us. And what we should be looking for in anticipation of is his return. Now, we've been hearing it ever since I first became a Christian. Jesus is coming soon. But of course, this day and time, with the signs of the times, earthquakes, in unusual places, volcanic eruptions, tsunamis, war on just about every continent of the world today. There's so much unrest. The signs of the times are there. Jesus is coming soon. But in the meantime, as we have these opportunities, and the Bible doesn't tell us how often. It says, as often as you do this, do this. In remembrance of me, we serve a risen Savior. Let's remember him tonight and what he did for us as we partake of these emblems tonight. Just bow with me for a moment's prayer. Father, again, we thank you for this opportunity as we've been able to reflect on your word and reflect on the importance of this Lord's Supper, this communion, this table that we're going to feast around tonight. And we just thank you for Calvary and what our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, accomplished for us at Calvary. He paid the penalty for our sins. Redemption was provided and salvation is so rich, it's so full, and it's so free. We just thank you for this opportunity now. For it's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen.